0: Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club.
1: Welcome to the Commonwealth Club and International Career Opportunities. This is a function of the International Relations member-led forum, so it's entirely volunteer-led. Thank you, Norma, for all of your leadership in bringing us here today. Um, My name is Ian McQuaig, and I'm one of the program coordinators with the International Relations uh, member-led forum. And uh, in real life, I'm uh, Fund Development Director at Chinese Hospital. Mm -hmm. Uh, But throughout my career, which is 31 years and before that in my volunteer life, I've always had a real passion for international affairs. And just given the events of the day, uh, (laughs) it seems like... uh, cultivating interest and passion in international careers is a very important thing so I'm very deeply grateful not only to our moderator and panelists but to all of you for having come out to learn more about these opportunities tonight and I'm just going to begin by uh, introducing our moderator Sarah Jo uh, Neubauer. Um, I have known Sarah Jo since 2011 when she was a Mm -hmm. reference librarian at the Foundation Center on Sutter Street. The Foundation Center is now candid and uh she did a great job there. Uh, I think it was around 2000. uh, Well, during her time at the Foundation Center, um, in terms of career development, she had, I think, four different positions. So Mm -hmm. began as reference librarian, then was coordinator, manager, and then ultimately a director. And so I thought she was well suited to talk about career development opportunities. Uh, In 2016, Sarah Jo was recruited to work for the the highly effective, influential nonprofit called JVS. Uh, JVS is a job training organization, and Sarah Jo headed up the Job Search Accelerator program there, uh, which uh, helps hundreds of people, I think, every year uh, advance their careers and learn practical skills in order to do that. One of the things that JVS does in its job search accelerator program is work closely with LinkedIn. So uh, most recently, Sarah Jo, I think this year, uh, Mm -hmm. has been recruited to LinkedIn to serve as customer success manager. And so she's uh, with us here tonight as moderator and has recruited four excellent panelists. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming Sarah Jo and panelists. (laughs)
2: Thank you, Ian. And thank you for joining us this evening for uh, an invigorating conversation about international career opportunities uh, with this esteemed panel. Um, Thank you, Ian, for your leadership and your volunteership with the Commonwealth Club. And so I'm going to introduce our panelists soon or allow them to introduce themselves. Uh, And I just want to shout out then, uh, by the time you leave this evening, before you even leave this room, you will have met at least five or six, seven new people, right? So, uh, a, a little bit of a gift and well worth the price of admission and your time here this evening, right? All right. So, let's go ahead and get uh, and get started. Um, I want to share with you a little bit about the format of this evening's event. Uh, I'll ask some questions of our panelists for the next 20 to 30 minutes or so. And then we will pause at 640 or so and ensure that you all have time to ask your questions as well. Uh, and then the networking can continue. Um, and so I do want to start framing our conversation um, and just really put the, is it an elephant in the room? Is that the saying? Be clear with that. It's this is a huge topic, right? International career opportunities. I don't think you can get any bigger than that. Um, And so many ways to interpret that. So let me just ask you some questions in the audience. Um, How many of you were here inspired by this event are here because, yes, I've always dreamed of working abroad and I want to learn more? How many of you? We've got, yes, me included, like half of us in this room. And it's a crowded 600,000 people room (laughs) every day. And then... How many of you are here because you want to move your career in the direction of international impact, stay in the United States, but really have an international kind of, right? Yes. Okay. So a good handful of you. Yep. Great. And then anyone here expats and really looking, coming from another country outside of the United States, living in the United States, thinking global mobility, I want to keep exploring and, and living in other countries. Okay. Yes. Fantastic. So you can see there's lots of ways to interpret this giant topic, right? And that this really still connects us in many ways. So we've got you covered, by the way, with (laughs) this amazing panel. That's the beauty of this. And in the spirit of this conversation, um, we were actually talking about this earlier, is that consider what the world was like um, 20 years ago and how much our world has changed just in 20 years. And the job opportunities, from my perspective, were much more siloed, right? If I wanted to think about where to work, it would be for-profit companies. This is how they were positioned for me and how I thought of it. Maybe you did, too. For-profit, we had the public sector or the government, uh, and then nonprofits and NGOs. Um, And so uh, in career development, um, often that would steer us also in where our skills are or our interests are. So we can kind of segment it in that way and think about it. So there's some silos there. So now I feel like, and maybe this is your take too, that it's much more acceptable. There's much more opportunities. It's a much more gray area. And um, these opportunities have expanded and kind of really break down these silos so that um, some of the, which, some in the ways that play out is that organizations um, have uh, some opportunities to be LLC3s or um, B Corps. And so business, we were talking about, right, the new generations, millennials don't want to necessarily put profit over people. They want to put right, the environment force. They want to have impact. And so I think that's another kind of maybe a common bond that a lot of us share here in this room as well. And then in the description that Ian wrote up, um, social media, the internet's right. This is all kind of really unified us and inspired us to make a better world, and so um, and, and be more global citizens. And so I think just kind of this framing is that uh, we can do good and we can do well in terms of some of the work that we do together. Um, so if we think about this, I think it's progress, and I'm really excited um, for our panelists to kick us off. And will you each introduce yourselves and uh, talk a little bit about your individual personal and professional experience and connection to this topic of international career opportunities. And Angie, I'm going to have you go first.
0: Sure, that will be the first one. Okay, hi, um, my name is Angie Jin. Um, I'm currently a business strategy consultant at a Kaiser Permanente, um, working in Oakland and. Internet, um, so I moved here in California in 2009, um, and the first destination actually was in San Diego. And about five years ago, I moved here, um, uh, because of a job opportunity with UC Berkeley. And today, um, Actually, is my Chinese uh, wedding ceremony. Uh, oh. I had yes, yeah, so my husband actually he's in the crowd. We <laughs> met each other. Uh, we met each other in China uh, twelve years ago, and so you know the topic, you know, international career transition, cultural differences and transitions, you know, very important to me because that's how my husband and I we met each other, um, and that's you know what brought me here um, to today's event, and I love Love to share with you uh, the experiences and lessons learned uh, I have learned in the past 12 years here in a very painful way, many different painful ways. Mm. <laughs> Thank you, Angie. Mm-hmm. Gabriel, would you like yeah. to go next?
3: Hey everyone, I'm Gabriel Riss Martins. I'm the chief of staff for Zenesis Technology, which is a software company that builds software for governments. Um, I'm originally from São Paulo, Brazil. So I've been here in California for seven years, and um, I love it. I live in Oakland. Um, uh, before that, um, I was the national representative for the National Council of the United Nations Association, um, where we work to basically spread the word of the UN um, and just make sure that people were educated about the issues of the UN in the United States, and um, as well the chair of the Education Committee here in San Francisco for the United Nations Association of San Francisco. I guess I'm here to share a little bit of that experience and also uh, from a young professional perspective um, uh, and as a millennial, how that impacted me and what drove me to do different things and how, to, how I was able to find opportunities to keep growing in an international sphere. So, yeah.
4: All right. Thank you. Um, I'm Diony Rivera. I've been in the Bay Area and generally in the United States for around six years. Um, and my work currently is with UC Berkeley as a um, assistant director for career development at the Masters of Engineering program. And in my program, there's uh, around 70, 60 to 70% international students. So what I try to do is really help them navigate, you know, adjusting here, um, looking into should I move to a different program or should I start up a business? How do I find jobs here? Or maybe when I go back to my home country, how do I find jobs? Um, And I was also an international student um, and an expat. So I kind of like have a little bit of um, adventures and misadventures that I share with my students. And maybe if I could share one, um, one of the things that I learned as an international student and an expat too is that I got a feedback about my cover letter. So I'm sure we're going to cover that a little bit. But this person um, told me, oh, your cover letter reads like an email scam." (laughs) So, um, so one of the things that I try to do with my international students is also to help them, you know, figure out how to communicate themselves without sounding like a scammer. (laughs) um, Yes, uh, and I guess that's one of the things that um, brought me to this panel as well to give a different perspective in terms of, you know, if you're a student um, and also if you're an expat, um, moving to different countries um,
5: and establishing yourself.
2: Thank you. Jesse,
5: you're up. My name is Jesse Byron Fields. I also work at LinkedIn and I'm on the recruiting team there. I hire for our marketing and communications part of our business. And so LinkedIn is a large global company. Global mindset is really important to us at LinkedIn and I have. <clears throat> excuse me, colleagues who I work with who are here from our Singapore office, our Dublin office, our London office, and creating economic opportunity for everyone is critical at LinkedIn. And then also fostering a sense of belonging is really important. So really want to be a global citizen. And my personal goal is to eventually work out of our Dublin office. Not forever, but for a little bit. I don't think I can handle the weather. I'm from Los Angeles. I can hardly handle this weather, but that is a goal of mine. So happy to provide sort of insights from the recruiting side of things.
2: Indeed. And thank you all so much for sharing that. We're going to go a little bit deeper on some of these topics. And uh, my... Uh, affinity for this topic is similar to Jesse's, uh, I would say, and I've just been obsessed with career development in general and job search. I am that person in my family group and my friend group that's like, will you look over my resume? What do you think about, will you read this cover letter, et cetera? So, Mm -hmm. um, and Dione and I used to work with uh, each other at JVS as well. Mm -hmm. So we um, uh, have a kinship there. And so I want to, if we think about um, uh, your example, Dione, of like, what not to do in a cover letter, for example, how a job search intricacies can be regional um, and uh, vary. So if I'm a job seeker and a lot of these folks raised their hand earlier around, I want to live somewhere else um, outside of the United States, how would you advise someone to get started? How would you um, uh, encourage folks to get started in conducting their international career search? What does that look like?
4: Hmm. Well, um, to be honest that's a very big topic mm-hmm. in itself and um, I think Google when you type in international job search would offer you a lot of advice <laughs> um, however for, for me when I started it it's really looking into the why because um, it, the why's help you figure out you know, how to convince yourself to get out of your comfort zones and how to like develop and look into researching if this is the right um, move for you, and then you'll go to the next stage of you know what are the opportunities out there. Um, I I do want to share one thing um, when I was talking to my sister because my sister was inspired of my expat experience, and she she told me what do you think about um, if I you know find a job in Japan. And I asked her, why do you want to go to Japan? And she said, oh, my gosh, because Japan, she loves anime. So, oh, Japan, (laughs) anime is there. Um, It's safe. uh, And the Olympics will be there next year. I was like, okay, that's great. It just sounds like you want to travel and visit Japan. (laughs) It doesn't seem like you want to live and work there. If you told me, oh, I want to go to Japan because she's an architect, so the answer could be they they have great safe buildings that are earthquake proof and I want to learn more about that and get into that industry, then definitely I'll be able to help you figure out what are your next steps. So that's why it's really important to like ground yourself with the whys of doing something or else, you know, when... Um, swift wind turns your sails, then you'll you'll be lost in a different country, and in a country sometimes that you know you may not have direct resources. So having that reason solid will help you move to the next steps of typical job search.
2: that's great advice. Anyone else want to take a stab at that question? How do you get started?
0: Um, I, can, I can share a little bit. Um, so I'm originally from China. I'm Korean-born in China, third generation Korean. So I can share with you that in Chinese culture is very similar to American culture in that way. So you, it's all about networking, who you know. Um, I used to teach in a university in China, and my former colleagues, they still send recruitment ads to me and ask me, hey, who do you know is qualified to teach English as a second language in a Chinese university and then send them um, our ways. So networking definitely is very important. And the other thing is, you know, in Asia, in Korea, Japan, and in China, most of the things are on social media. Are online, so if you are, you know, like uh, determined to go, um, then I will recommend you to, you know, search for the university websites or, you know, like choose your destination where. Weather is similar to here where you're from. So you're you're not that, you know, you won't be uh getting the weather depression per se, uh during winter or raining seasons because you know China is a very large country, things can be very different um uh, from the west to the east and from the north to the south. Yeah. So um there Linkin has Chinese uh has presence in China as well and that's actually a very popular website to get jobs. Um so yeah.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Um, anyone else want to touch that question? No,
3: I, I feel that I went to uh, college here. So. Yep. Maybe yep. Gotcha. Of, yeah.
2: Well, if we expand out and think, um, I love the weather <laughs> and the why, uh, you know, why is this important to you? Um, what are you thinking about? You start with why, says Simon Sinek, right? Um, but what situational and contextual, f- uh, contextual factors should be uh, considered? um, in overseas job search. So we taught, we, we thought about climate, um, is political stability or economic standing or culture, modernity, any of those an important factor and anything to expand on that?
3: I think, uh, I can uh, go for a little bit on that. I think it was important to me, it was, uh, legality and being sure that you understand, uh, you know what what are the laws that will allow you to work and pursue your dream in in a different country um for me, I think uh, that was definitely a you know growth curve to understand what I could do and what what I could not I think my first year in college, I wanted to work, but I couldn't work so um I was actually I came to America uh, in a scholarship to play basketball, so I was you know getting food and getting bored, but I couldn't do anything besides that because I couldn't find a job, so it took me a while to understand. Um, how to work with that system, especially the young. Uh, But I think that we all in this room have the opportunity to understand, you know, how to interact with, you know, the laws of the societies you want to go to and be prepared prior to arriving there. You don't want to arrive in a new place and then find out later that, you know, this move, I I can even, you know, get a job right now or I can get a job, but it's only 20 hours a week. How am I going to pay rent? Um, So I think that's super important.
5: I can jump in here as well. So I've had conversations with a few folks at LinkedIn about what office would make sense for me to work in and how I came to determine that Dublin would make sense is because that's our satellite office abroad. So right now I'm working in our main hub. I'm in the center of all of the action. So if I went to our London office, that's a satellite of a satellite office. So I would be even more removed from Being in the know, being able to kind of make as much of an impact that's important to me. And then uh, from cultural conversations that I've had with people who have lived in both London and Dublin, I've been told that I would be greeted probably in a warmer fashion in Dublin where London has some more societal Issues that you need to kind of work through and for me to I've already moved once granted I moved within the same state but that it's challenging enough to go from Southern California to Northern California very different get a lot of uh, Get a lot of slack about my sports team's preferences, but um, so going to London especially kind of where I am in my career at moving alone at this stage again i think would be really challenging so i want to move to a culture that is um promoting that that sense of belonging and hey you just moved here let's grab dinner versus who do you know who do we have in common so those are a few factors that contributed to me making the decision of okay now i know which office i want to go to and
4: if i can add to that um Understanding your non-negotiables when you look into um, job opportunities or looking into moving to a different place or a different country is really key and important. For me, I had to decline an assignment because um, one of my non-negotiables is I want to be freely able to move and travel and buy my own things Um, And there should be standing toilet, standard toilet, (laughs) and there should be potable water um, and a little bit of um, privacy. But in the assignment that was given to me, I had to be with security every time I go out of the building. And it felt that it wasn't a safe situation because the the place that I was going to had political instability. So really understanding, you know, aside from the whys of the reasons for the career, but also like what can you not live with is really key and important for you to be able to move and live um in that country or in that place or in that position. So Will, really uh, will if you have that n- non-negotiable in mind you'll be able to like research the political situation of that country if you can't live without internet or cell phone or facebook or twitter then maybe don't go to a country or don't go to a place that doesn't offer that so non-negotiables and doing your research about the place that you're going to are really key to um, understanding the job search or you know how you're going to be able to successfully move into that country Thank you. Angie, I saw you. Maybe.
0: Oh, okay. Just oh, I, would just, so I wanted to make sure. I want to make a comment because today's the first, uh, c- uh, you know, first NBA game, and it's between Warriors and Lakers. <laughs>
5: oh, I'm a
0: big yeah. Warrior
5: fan. Uh-oh. So. <laughs> That's why we're sitting across from <laughs> you all this far away.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like what you uh, you are saying, you know, about uh, the non-negotiables and also, you know, focus, about, uh, focus on your passion. Um, for instance, you know, like if you want to move to China, China, you know, it's different political ideology. There's no wrong or right. It's just very different. And if you are somebody, you know, like really like to engage other people to, you know, debate on the political um differences I will recommend you to be super sensitive because have you guys heard about MBAs yeah. you know it's like it's banned in China because you know they just don't agree on certain things right and then um, also if you don't fully understand what you know the uh, how how sensitive people are about such topics um, just be you know very Wise about making comments. It's it's the same thing here, right? If I'm traveling to Texas, I will be having a little bit, like, uh, you know, a little string in my in my mind, telling myself and consciously, consciously, please do not engage in political and religious topics and discussions, right? I don't know. Mics keep failing on me. So, (laughs) works now. It works now. Yeah. So that would be my advice for you. Yeah. Oh, sorry.
4: Um, as a resource, maybe you could look into Hofstede. It's a very tricky spelling, so I'm not going to spell it to you right now. But um, Hofstede uh, had a study around different cultures in America um, and um, different countries. It's a good resource if you're like looking into how will I be able to relate to people in that country mm. or in another state.
1: <laughs> mm.
2: I. And there's another resource that I cannot think of the name of either, but there's like almost assessments around what is your communication and personality and kind of cultural competence around that too. So there's there's things like this. So I'm hearing um, really kind of um, know yourself, right, and understand why you um, would be interested in, in uh, working outside of the United States. Um, know yourself, um, get in touch with your passion, your why. And I also just want to call out that it's interesting how uh, you know some of us might um, travel with a company, or so having a place inside of a, a global company already, or thinking about where is my destination in terms of a country or a region. So there's lots of ways that you can come at this. Um, uh, where do skills fit into this <laughs> right cuz i really want to go work in new zealand i don't think we have an office for linkedin in new zealand yet no. um, <laughs> however um, maybe i maybe they don't need my skills and then i have to think about what are my skills right so where do skills come into this and experience
3: um i think you know as we said you know understanding your environment it's is very uh, important and you mentioned that you can either want to move to a country or travel a lot. I do travel a lot, and I go to places sometimes uh, for humanitarian crisis. For example, I was in Mozambique for three months after uh, the biggest cyclone to hit Africa in 25 years, and I was working there for the first three weeks with no running water, no shower, sharing a bed with one of my uh, coworkers. And uh, I think, <laughs> I think, it's skills and also, you know, how far are you willing to push. Uh, You know, not sleeping, getting on planes every other day. I think those are considerations that you have to take. Um, With regards to, um, I think the most important skill falls into what we were already discussing is understanding cultural differences and, you know, being hyper aware of that. Um, You can get so far in a place without understanding um, the international relations of it, you know, the the political scene. You know, I'm going to Mozambique. Do I understand, you know, who's the ruling party? You know, what things can I say? Or I'm going to Rwanda. Am I aware of the Rwandan uh, genocide? And I'm aware of what I can speak there. Um, I think cultural awareness is a very, very important skill to have when you're traveling abroad. And um, being sensitive to that can, you know, get you uh, and open you a lot of doors, uh, especially the people you want to work with.
0: Um, OK, uh, so I think, you know, if you want to uh, work in China and you are not sure about your skill sets, I, I'm very sure there is one thing you can do. You can teach English there. <laughs> um, I used to have my own training center and um, my husband can tell you guys how hard it is to recruit somebody, you know, who is patient and who Who is willing to, you know, like share um, cultural background and also, you know, teach um, proper English (laughs) to students? Um, Because you know, I had to make him to teach classes for me. Um, I do pay him (laughs) (laughs) back in those days. Not anymore. (laughs) Um, anymore. Yeah. And also, the other thing I think is also very important is to think about, you know, your transferable skills. Uh, Maybe what you are currently, doing in your job, you cannot really do a hundred percent or ninety percent direct transfer um, into you know, like a job market, for example, like in China. But uh, think about your soft skills, it's the same thing, like how I transferred my skill sets from a uh, lecturer in a university to HR department uh, doing operation, doing recruitment, doing business development. Do uh, right now, I'm a business consultant because those are the things I used to do when I was. Was only my own business while I was developing curriculums. So I was, you know, like building relationships with people. So, um, those things can transfer. Um, so just, you know, brainstorm with people who, you know, very well, and they will give you some really good recommendations regarding like what you are good at and, um, and then see how those things can be, you know, translated into the, uh, future job market, internet or global talent market per se. Yeah. You are listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play and Stitcher. Learn about our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live for any of our 500 programs each year. You can find us online at CommonwealthClub.org. Now back to our program.
4: I liked what you said, Angie, about transferable skills, uh, because one of the things that I did when I was um, looking into jobs and maybe moving to a, an assignment is, what's the labor information or the market Um, In that country or, or in the organization I'm going to, because it will help me understand that if I really, really like this place, then I know that I could be able to like stay or apply for a different position or apply for a certain company. And if my skills are not directly related, right, to help people see oh, maybe it's because I did it in, in a different organization and in a different capacity, but it kind of sounds like similar to the one that you're really looking for. Um, so maybe an example would be I, I, I'm i a... Well, I was an international school um, teacher, coordinator, and um, I helped build career programs. So how I was able to translate into... Um, That role to another country was when I applied for a workforce development organization as a consultant, and because I developed programs for two-year-olds to (laughs) high school and college students, it translated into, okay, how do I help people figure out their way through um, looking for jobs and finding, um, achieving their career goals, so that I became part of the consulting team for a workforce development organization. So really being clear around that and understanding, oh, yes, there's a market for that kind of skill.
5: And I think from a recruiting standpoint, when you're talking about the job search, it's all about your skills, right? So it's knowing what skills you possess, what transferable skills you have, and then what skills do you need to gain? So don't forget about that aspect too, right? There's always a learning and development and growth aspect. So maybe you want to move to a region where you your skill set isn't exactly honed. Take courses online, get a certificate, show that you're putting in the legwork, that you have the passion and drive and desire to be there because that's a soft skill on top of the hard skills that you're going to gain. So um, definitely the value of continuing education, whether it's a free online course, it's extension course. It is a certificate program. You always have opportunities available to build that muscle in addition to the skills you already have and the transferable skills that you can share.
2: Indeed. I think that's been a common thread throughout here, too, is is really is education and skills gain. And on that same topic, before we transition into audience questions, um, Jesse, can you talk a little bit about what recruiters might look for in making a hire or relocating someone across the globe? How do we really show um, I'm serious about making this move? I'm invested.
5: I have done some of my homework, you know? I think it's being able to speak to some of the points that we talked about earlier, the motivation, not just I want to study abroad as an adult, right? What are the reasons behind it? And yes, it's something that you want, but what value is the organization going to gain from bringing you on board? Because it's a business transaction at the end of the day, right? So if you are looking to get something out of it, but... You need to be able, there needs to be a return on the investment for the organization. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. So, you know, it's looking at the skills, the knowledge, the passion, the commitment also, right? Because it is a big financial commitment from a company. If they're going to relocate you, sponsor a visa, whatever it might be, you have to show why do you have ties to the area that you want to move to. What is the homework that you've done in terms of cost of living and resources that are available to you? So being able to articulate all of that is going to be critical um, because it's going to make me and other people in positions like me want to take the chance, right? Take a risk.
2: Fantastic. Thank you. I think we might go ahead and transition into some questions from all of you.
1: Sure. Um, This has been a really interesting discussion so far. And uh, thank you for your participation and excellent answers. Uh, So the discussion could get even more interesting with questions from the audience. So I'm just going to rove around and pass the mic and this gentleman here. Right.
6: Well, uh, quite exciting to hear all this. And I want to rely on some of my experience quickly. it was like 1984 or 1985, I received a call from Washington, D.C., from a company saying, Dr. Kedivar, uh, we want to hire you. I said, what? <laughs> I was in the middle of remodeling my house in Menlo Park. <laughs> I said, how did you hear from me? Well, we heard from American Planning Association. We're looking for a water resources engineer with planning experience because we are developing a national water plan for this country in the Middle East. (laughs) Would you be interested to come for an interview in Washington, D.C.? We'll send you a ticket and come. So I went there and I said, well, yeah, you hired $250 per day. That was 1985. It was quite a minute. I returned home, Menlo Park. Then I sort of exchanged notes with my ex-wife at that time, my wife. I said, you know, they're offering me 20, 250 Say I said, no, no, they need you. Just say, 250 is not enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ask for more. So I said, $300. I called them back per day. And yeah, I was nervous when I asked. You. <laughs> see, that's what you were saying, you know, the return. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what to make. So they, they, I will have a question for you. But the, for the audience, membership of professional organizations mm-hmm. are very valuable. Mm-hmm. That's true. So this is a very, very important one. Mm-hmm. The other issue is that also that you may have not quite addressed the risk. So mm-hmm. I went over there. I was hired. I went over there. I went there, and then you're hired. This is your car. This is your apartment. This is your house. What? This is your house. This is your apartment. This is your key. So, in the city of Muscat in Sultanate of Oman, I had no knowledge of how to drive. This is your car. <laughs> there was no, at that time, no Uber, no tra- public transportation. <laughs> so, I was on my own driving in a city that I was unfamiliar with. Going from your work is you start tomorrow because the day ta- it's pay day, it's mm-hmm. per day. You work per day. So, there is a the risk involved. And then the temperature there, the hot temperature. Yes. The following day, I wanted to take a shower. I turned on my wa- cold water. My cold water was hot. <laughs> I told them, why my cold water is hot? I can't get water. Say, said, well, the tank up there is heat, it's getting the sun. <laughs> so turn on your hot water in order to get the cold water. <laughs> So, so, so my question it's, is it's that, obvious. I mean, the, the risk cap, the risk really, is really risky. You really, did mm. you, did you consider all this risk that mm. you traveled over there, went over there? Or came? Uh, yeah, go
0: ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah, please. All right. That so yes, the risk I would say in China would be everything changes so fast. So I I'm from a um, city where it's across the river from North Korea um, in the northeast. Uh, And, you know, my job in China was two hours from Shanghai in the coastal, east coastal area, about in the middle of China uh, around there. And then um, so after I got, uh, after I started working as a lecturer in the coastal area, I haven't been back for seven years. And the first time, you know, like I took my mom back to my hometown to visit my relatives and grandparents um, the taxi driver you know like I took a taxi and then the taxi driver stopped the car and he's like it's your destination I was like what do you mean where's my house I can't recognize it here and then he's like yeah this is the way you told me to drive you to I, I had to get off the car I called my mom I was like mom uh, the guy said, I'm at the right place, but nothing around me is recognizable. I don't think I grew up here. The only thing I recognize is the river, you know. <laughs> um, and then my mom, she's like, oh, it's just a lot of development, you know, like new houses, uh, new new skyscrapers, you know, tall buildings around, around here. And then... Um, she hung up and then came, you know, like after five minutes, walk out of the valley uh, alley. I was like, "Oh, I do live here now," you know. So everything changes super fast, um, and you just have to get used to it. Um, a lot of you know cultural differences too can be risky. Uh, for example, like if you talk about politics and the religious, you know, like uh, if somebody else is very sensitive about the conversation, they might, you know, report um, report you if you work. University
4: Um, so yeah I mean Risk I I mentioned to you about my assignment Um, that that one that I didn't accept was in Bangladesh during that time they burn women Um, if you are very progressive looking so, of course, I'm international school teacher. I'll be a progressive looking with my purple hair and all that. Um, so that's why. And uh, on the other part of it, definitely I did a lot of research, um, conversations with different people and looking into, you know, um, expat organizations in that country to help me really assess, okay, I mean, it the country may look like it's, dangerous according to the embassies but you know when i talk to the expats who are actually living there working there thriving there then it eases me as well to be able to like okay move and um complete my projects and complete my assignments but yes risks are always something that i look into and definitely something that you guys should research on and um Have conversations with um, people over there, Mm. not just listen to the news or, you know. Mm -hmm.
2: Risks versus challenges, right? Hot water and cold water. That was like, (laughs) sorry that happened to you. And (laughs) um, I want to do pick out the point, though, around associations. Gabriel, you were um, part of the UN Association. Tell me more. I don't have the exact language, but was that an important part of your... Um, sure.
3: Would would relate to risk or just by, risk my Risk aside, just okay. in
2: terms of uh, networking and uh, mm-hmm.
3: opportunity. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think uh, being part, um, and uh, just the background, you know, I started a school and uh, I saw an opportunity as a really passionate student doing Model UN. Uh, I saw that we didn't have a United Nations Association uh, um, club at school, and then uh, I decided to found, it, uh, found one. Um, And from there, I became a fellow, um, I became a a board member at the SF Association, and then eventually I was uh, an elected representative to the National Council. And, you know, the people, you know, that's how I met, and that's how I'm here. Um, And, you know, that experience and the people that I met was what allowed me to get my job and the connections that I had to get my job and do what I love now. So Mm -hmm. I definitely agree that being part of uh, groups of like-minded people um, is super important, and it was definitely extremely beneficial in my life. Um, It was difficult as a young person uh, with no money, working three jobs to also volunteer on the side, Um, but it worked. So, yeah, I guess I can't complain now, but looking back, I think it it takes a lot of uh, determination when you're young and uh, when you're grinding, but uh, it was definitely a valuable, valuable experience.
1: Awesome. Thank you.
3: Who has a question?
2: See in the back, right? Sure. Oh. Oh. Start here. I'd like to understand
7: better when you are evaluating US-based candidates versus um, a candidate in the country. So for example, in Dublin, which we have an Irishman here,
4: <laughs> we have an Irishman right
7: here. <laughs> but um, uh, how do you determine which candidates you're going to move forward? So for example, uh, does it have anything to do, for example, I'm a dual citizen. Would I be a more competitive candidate than maybe somebody else? Or how do
5: you go about picking a U.S. candidate versus a local candidate? So every, it's all dependent on the role, right? So because when you're saying, are you more competitive, what skills are you bringing versus skills that the other candidates that were measuring you against um, are bringing to the table. So for instance, if I'm looking to hire folks on our marketing and communications team who might not be US citizens, that's hard. And that's not my decision. It's government mandated laws that we need to be able to find someone who can do the job here first before being able to provide sponsorship. So it's much easier for technical positions to warrant sponsorship. So that's why I say it depends on the role. It depends on the skills. But if you have, you know, all of the skills that we're looking for um, versus other candidates who might not meet all of those skills, then that's great that you're a dual citizen, right? You're probably bringing that global mindset, global perspective that maybe those individuals aren't, but it depends on how your qualifications stack up against what the job descriptions requiring. So it's hard to speak about it in a more blanketed way, but um, it really depends on the role and the situation. And um, candidate pools are tough. We post jobs and get hundreds of applications within one day. So it's a really tough, it's a candidate's market, actually, um, which is a good thing for all of you who are looking for jobs. But um, it every situation is so different. So it really just depends on the needs of the role and what the hiring manager is laying out that they are really looking for.
3: And uh, to build on that, I spend, I think, good time, 15% of my time interviewing candidates for positions, especially project managers abroad. And I, it's definitely true. I think if I'm looking for someone that can do a job, I don't know, as you said, Bangladesh or someone in India or someone that's going to do a job in Colombia, you know, if you are part you know, Colombian or if you speak Spanish or, I don't know, if you're doing a job in Colombia but you're part Venezuelan, I'm definitely going to give you an advantage on the candidate pool because you definitely have... That experience. I think that as long as everything is correct, when when people have you know larger uh, experience, cultural experience, they can bring a lot a lot to the job. And um, if they have you know the passion and they're mission driven, I definitely think that um, in in our company specifically, uh, we believe that people with you know different cultural backgrounds have a lot to add, and uh, that a diverse company can uh, definitely do a better job than a company that is not.
0: Can I also make a comment? It's just um, very different practices based on where you are heading to. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, like in China, um, you know, they don't have very strict employment law like in California or in the United States. So you will see job ads with age limitation, gender, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like if you want to be a teacher, They might even have height or, you know, like uh, requesting a picture of you. You know, Mm. Um, so it's, you know, it's just different practices. And they don't have the the law there is not, you know, strictly enforced like how we are doing things in California. So uh, be prepared for that as well. Um, And if you want to have a taste of that, there is a there is a group on LinkedIn. um, I think it's called the China job. Jobs in China. Um, There are a lot of followers, you know, like of that group. So, you know, you you can see some samples of job postings there and then see if that will be something, you know, um, uh, you can just have a taste of.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I was going to add on to that, Angie. I love that you um, shared uh, different ways of we're talking about associations and networking. I mean, how do you you know meet people in the kind of destination that you want to go to and linkedin and groups and associations online are a great way to do that and connect with people and reach out and do informational chats and ask questions right and yeah. just start building those relationships yeah. thanks for that yeah. again shameless plug there linkedin oh it keeps coming up but really I, not getting paid but um
1: i think we have time for one more please. question a uh, yeah. quick question and then we'll uh, adjourn downstairs Oh, we have questions out here. Oh my goodness, I get to rove out the room. <laughs>
4: Let's
1: see if the mic still works. Hi, quick question.
7: I apologize I was a little late, but a couple of clarifying things actually. I just returned after living in four different countries over the last 7 years. The most recent was actually China. They've been making a lot of changes, and some of what you said is actually not true anymore. Oh,
0: cool.
7: Good One of my coworkers is over 50 and tried to change schools, and he was denied a work visa because of his age. Mm-hmm. So be very careful. Also, China is very relaxed on what they require for English teachers, but mm-hmm. Japan, Indonesia, and Korea were not. Korea actually went as far as requiring a CELTA, which is 3500 to 5000 U.S. dollars and a six-month training search in addition mm-hmm. to actually having a background in English. So just be very wary when you're actually looking, because that's what I was doing. Um, as, far as, as far as my question for you guys, um, when have any of you actually returned to your home country after living abroad? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you transfer with the same company, or did you do a brand-new job search?
4: I did a brand-new job search.
7: How did you actually find that? Because I've had people asking me for visa paperwork, and I'm like, I'm from Ohio.
4: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I worked with a, um, an organization, international, uh, teacher, uh, international school organization. Okay. Uh, so they have um, a network of different international schools from different countries, and they have uh, job posts. So you apply, and they have fairs um one uh, is the international school organization and the other one is search associates so okay. a lot of the work there is you two two year contract and then you have to go back home unless you know um, unless you were offered to extend your contract so that's okay. a different school to school relationship okay. or if you move to a different school then that would entail a different uh, visa requirement but generally within the that organization, you have to go back to your home country and then apply okay. again. Okay. And both of those were
7: education-based groups?
4: <laughs> yes, they were education-based
7: okay. groups. Um, something else, I haven't heard anyone mention this, but there's a group that I used to network when I was looking at the four different cities to move to when I returned here two months ago. Mm-hmm. It's a group called Internations. Internations.org. Internations. Internations. Mm-hmm. org. Internations. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a large international networking organization. They are based in 450 cities all around the world. It's purposely made for expats and for people who go abroad and then want to return or that just keep moving. Mm -hmm. I got very active in Beijing, but there's a free membership and they do things all the time, especially the San Francisco one. They have three or four get togethers a week or a month for the the regular one. There's also a paid one. That has subsets, including professional networking within the internations group.
4: Wow, that's awesome.
7: So that's another really good resource that oh, I used before you. coming here when I was still in Beijing.
4: Oh, wow, that's Sorry. awesome. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Sarah Joe, did you have any uh, closing remarks before we just sort of wrap things up?
2: Yes. I wanted to, first of all, put a plug in to keep the conversation going, right? Mm-hmm. Connect with people um, and and uh internations and some resources that have come up um and i believe that we're going to trickle down in another place and continue to meet each other um i want to uh close by asking our esteemed panel um to share a little bit about their best career advice that you've gotten um in your career in your in your time on this mm-hmm. earth best like.
0: advice i received best career advice d- yes i gave the audience uh, or I received that you've received yes best career advice that you've received um I learned a lot of things through through you know through my um 10 years working time here um but I think you know like especially thinking about working in a different culture being flexible and open minded are very important and also you know just Use everyday uh, practices, your daily life as exercise to um, to work out your adaptability and a f- flexibility muscle, you know. So because a lot of things are different, so you just have to, a lot of things you cannot change, uh, regardless of how, how much you complain. You just cannot change it because it's different. <laughs> yeah, so you just have to, you know, like keep an open mind um, and keep a lifelong learning journey yeah
3: okay that's tough I think I'm going to be a little bit corny and also put a plug in a shameless plug for my mom because um, <laughs> I, I think the best career advice that I ever got was uh, just you know believing in myself and you know I think my mom used to say, you can do anything that you want to do if you actually you know work hard for it and I think that was the best most valuable advice I ever got I think you know dedication pays off a long way and passion goes a long way
4: Mm. Well, aside from not writing cover letter like an email scammer, <laughs>
0: <laughs>
4: it would be... Pretty um, <laughs> That's pretty good. It would be... um Proceed legally until apprehended. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> but really, if you want... To do it, do you want to you know jump and explore different countries and go overseas and you know start um, you know your career for mission driven organization, whatever that is, do it until legally you can't. <laughs>
5: <laughs> uh, advice that I really like is you own your own career, so it's mm-hmm. up to you to work hard, put in the time, dedication, all of that, but also make your aspirations known because it is all about who you're connected to. So be vocal. I want to move here. Here's the type of job I'm looking for. Like Let people help you because no one can help you if you're not making your aspirations known. So definitely make those known, own your career, drive those conversations, and rely on your network to help get you there too.
2: I love that. That's a strong point to end on. And And to that point, relationships matter. So keep networking, keep talking, and keep connecting. Thank you all so much. Thank you, panel, for your presence.